Tell me, dear Jesus, how long can it be? How long can it be until you look at me? And tell me, dear Jesus, how much you love me? How long can it be? Not long, not long. Hallelujah, we'll sing to our Maker and King. Tell me, Jesus, how long can it be? How long can it be till my family I see? All of the loved ones who've gone before me. How long can it be till my children I see? Kneeling down before the feet of my King. How long can it be? Not long. Not long, hallelujah, we'll sing to our Maker and King. Tell me, Jesus, how long can it be? How long can Till my country is free And all of God's children are free to believe How long can it be Till my world is at peace Till war is no more And with joy we will sing How long can it be Not long Not long We'll sing to our Maker and King. Tell me, Jesus, how long can how it be? How long can it be? Not long, not long. Hallelujah. We'll sing to our Scripture reading for today's sermon is Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. 
alas, for that day is great, and so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. We pray and ask for God's blessing on his word as Brother Bridges brings it to us. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I'm very humbled to be standing before your people. It is an enormous task. I cannot possibly present your word without your help. I need assistance from heaven. I need angels, Lord, standing next to me. I need your Holy Spirit standing with me to feed my mind. I'm a feeble, mortal, fickle human being. I also ask, Lord, that you would please send angels to walk up and down these pews, through these pews, down these aisles, that they would kindly escort any demonic agencies that maybe have snuck into this place today or maybe were brought into this place today unknowingly. Please take them out so that we can worship you in spirit and truth today. Father, we love you so much. We thank you so much. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Tullahoma Church family. Praise God for another week. We survived, and I say amen to that. Amen? Do we all believe that we're living in very serious times? Now, one word you'll hear out of my mouth very often when I'm standing here before you is the word serious, because we are living in serious, serious, serious times. And brothers and sisters, this is a very serious topic. This is our future. Do you want to know the future? I want to know the future. Well, this book, this Bible, these 66 books, tell us what's going to take place before it takes place. We call that prophecy, don't we? So this, this here is just a glimpse of what we have to pass through. God has to prove us. We can't waltz our way into heaven, can we? It's going to take effort. The angel told Sister White eight words. How many words? It will take all to buy the field. You know what that means? That means we cannot hold anything back. Anything that we're told in this book, anything we're told in the volumes of the spirit of prophecy, we have to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Will you help me? We're told in Isaiah chapter 41 that he will help us. Verses 10 and 13 to be exact. Those are promises. He will take us by the right hand and he will help us because he loves us and he wants us to live in heaven with him forever. The issue is we have a part to play in that, don't we? A very, very, very serious part to play in that. 
So this is Jesus, an artist's conception of Jesus showing a few saints something. Now, based on their body language, do you think Jesus is showing them something that happened in the past, or is he maybe showing them something that hasn't taken place yet in the future? What do you think? Definitely future. Jesus has revealed to us, brothers and sisters, the last act in the drama. The last act in the drama is the passing of a national Sunday law. When this country will repudiate through legislation everything that God has set up, they will legislate legally, logistically, a law that will contradict what his word says clearly what his word says to us and teaches us which day is the Sabbath and which day is not. The enemy of souls has set up a counterfeit. There's been a breach in the law of God. But he's called a people to be repairers of the breach. Amen? That's us. That's you and me. So prophecy now is something that is, I consider, a great gift. God has blessed us with great light. What a privilege it is to know what's going to take place before it happens. In fact, the Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah. He says, behold, behold, the former things have come to pass. Well, that's history. New things do I declare, that is prophecy, before they take place or before they occur, before they spring forth, the Lord says, I will do what? I will tell you of them. Isaiah 42, 9. Then Jesus co-signs on Isaiah 42, 9 and John 14, 29. He says, behold, I show you things before it come to pass, prophecy, so that when it is come to pass, history, ye shall do what? Believe. So Jesus understood very clearly, brothers and sisters, if I tell you something before it happens, and it happens, that has power and force, doesn't it? You will believe me. If I tell you on January 1st, 2024, which is a few weeks away from now, that it's going to rain all day. And it does rain all day. You're going to believe me. But if I tell you on February 1st, it's going to rain on January 1st all day. We call that false prophecy, don't we? Because apparently it's already happened. So Jesus wants us to know, and that was part of the system or the science of the ministry of Jesus. He told people things before it happened because he knew that would grip the heart, and they would believe. They would believe, certainly would believe. The time of trouble, such as never was, is soon to open upon us. Let me pause there. There are three times of trouble that are coming up in our world. How many, church? Three. three. Now, this is a class today, and when a teacher asks a question, he expects what? An answer. Amen. Three times of trouble we're going to study today in the time I'm allowed. I need three hours. I'm going to work with what I have. Amen? We shall need an experience which we do not now possess and which many are too indolent to obtain. What does indolent mean? Lazy. Lazy. I know I need that experience. I know it. I beg God every day. I don't possess it. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. The Lord showed her something. 
and she just could not put pen to paper to write it out. It was so extraordinary. Do we truly understand what's coming? I don't think we do. But we have to surrender everything, everything to Jesus to get through this. Holding nothing back. Nothing. In that time of trial, every soul must stand for himself and his children before God. Is that what she said? By yourself, just you and the Father. That makes me tremble. I remember a time years ago, back in the 90s, this is back in Los Angeles, I had a dentist appointment. I had to get two root canals at the same time. And I was trembling. My first thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to eat for two years. So I went, again, I knew, in my opinion, it was great trouble because I had never had that type of procedure before. So I went in. It was a female, a woman orthodontist, and she did a masterful job. That night, I was eating burritos with my wife. That night. But in that case, the trouble was greater than the anticipation, or the anticipation was greater than the reality. But she says, this is not true of the crisis. We can't even imagine how bad it's going to be. So how many of you have ever heard of a brother named A.T. Jones? All right. We all know who he is. He played a, played a huge part in the early days of this message, mid to late 1800s. Went toe-to-toe with a senator regarding the National Sunday Law. God was with him. Let me show you what the Lord said about this brother. The Lord, in his great mercy, sent a most precious message to his people through elders Wagoner, that's E.J. Wagoner, and Jones, A.T. Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Let me turn over here. It presented justification through faith or righteousness by faith in the surety. Who's the surety? Jesus Christ. You can say it louder. Don't be ashamed. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to how many? All, all the commandments of God, every single one. It will take all to buy the field, all. So we can have that righteousness through faith, believing that Jesus wants to impute it and impart it into us. We don't possess it naturally, do we? Not even close. The Bible says, Jesus said, if unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 5.20, ye shall in no case inherit the kingdom of God. It's impossible. So our righteousness, we know from Hosea 4.6, is like a filthy rag. We all know that. So all the commandments, let's see what Brother Jones had to say about a very important lesson we're going to learn by God's grace today. He said in a sermon, he preached, the day is coming when every Seventh-day Adventist in the United States would give everything he, that he has and his life almost if he could be outside of the United States. Is that somber? Let me say that again. I am speaking something now that interests every Seventh-day Adventist. That's everyone, I believe, in this room. The day is coming and is not far off when every Seventh-day Adventist will wish to the depths of his soul that he were out of the United States. And multitudes will condemn themselves and will fret themselves under the condemnation that they did not go out of the United States when they had the chance. Now, I know two families right now. I'm not going to call them by name. I know two families personally that are preparing to get up out of here. 
and to leave the United States of America. They believe they can, they can do better somewhere. I'm not going to name the continent they're going to or the, wherever they're going, but they're preparing to leave. We think we have a better chance over there. There was a song written way back in the day, back in the 30s, 1930s. The title was, There's No Hiding Place. And the chorus was, There's No Hiding Place Down Here. Because at some point, this law will go international, beginning here locally, right? Domestically, but it will go international. So where are we going to hide? The only safety, the only place to hide is in who? Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm glad you agree. So Africa, I was blessed. My wife and I were blessed to travel here on a mission a couple of years ago. We went to Kenya first together, did a two-week, conducted a two-week series there of meetings. She flew back home. I flew straight to Ethiopia, and we conducted a month of meetings there. <clears throat> it was a blessing. This is the team that, that went, myself and the, three, the two brothers are elders at a church up in Gallatin, and that's brother, the brother's wife right there. Now, this hotel, the hotel we stayed at for two nights before we shipped off and drove six hours up into the mountains, 10,000 feet up, was behind us. It was a five-star hotel. And I wish I would have gotten a better shot. I came back with 3,000 pictures and videos, 3,000, because that's what I do. Amen. Amen. But I wish I would have got a wider shot of this whole lobby. You see the clocks over here with the different times at different time zones and nations. Nairobi is kind of like a thoroughfare that everybody passes through to get from one nation to the other. So it was a rich experience those two nights. But then we traveled. And I shared with you last time I was up here that this was our toilet for a month. They call it a composting toilet. Composting toilet. You grab two bamboo poles, you squat down, you take care of your human business. It's very humbling. That was us walking down one of the dirt roads in the village town we were in. These are a few students here. The high schoolers wore, wore green sweaters, and the junior high middle school students wore red sweaters so they could identify each other. <clears throat> and we walked everywhere. That's myself, one of the, one of the pastors from, uh, from Addis Ababa, the capital city, and the other elder that was with us. And he was our translator, the brother in the middle. We walked everywhere. No cars. We walked miles, and I lost a lot of weight. So one thing we had to get accustomed to also is no washers and dryers. This is me lowering this canister several feet down into this well to scoop water up. Why did I do that? Because I had to wash my own clothes by hand. Now, I know many of you here have done that before. I basically had never done it. Born and raised with a washer and dryer of the house all of my days. But brother, sister, is coming to this. I mentioned last time that all infrastructure will be gone. We are going to be humble beyond our imagination. Some of you are familiar with this vision, the narrow way vision. Let me read part of it. She says, as the path grew more narrow, we decided that we could no longer go with safety on horseback. And we left the horses and went on foot in single file, one following in the footsteps of another. At this point, small cords were let down from the top of the pure white wall, and these we eagerly grasped to aid us in keeping our balance upon the path. As we traveled, the cord moved along with us. I'm going to go to the, the last slide. We then thought of those who had not accustomed themselves to privations and hardships. Hmm. Where were such now? They were not in the company. 
At every change, some were left behind, and those only remained who had accustomed themselves to endure hardships. The privations of the way only made these more eager to press on to the end. We have to sacrifice some things, brothers and sisters, in this life. Before that time comes, it is, it is going to be very, very serious. I don't think we understand, but by God's grace, we're going to understand a little better today. The things we're accustomed to now, they won't exist. There are three major power grids in this country. The eastern, I'm sorry, the western intercontinental power grid, the eastern, and also the Texas power grid. If one of those go down, we are in big trouble. The word, the key word today is trouble. Trouble. A time of trouble such as never was. The time of Jacob's trouble. In the last vision given me, I'm going to read this and we're going to pray. In the last vision given me, I was shown the startling fact that but a small portion of those who now profess the truth will be sanctified by it, by the truth, and be saved. We're talking about a remnant. Some say a remnant of the remnant. Many will get above the simplicity of the work. They will, one, conform to the world. That's a big one right there, a big one. Two, cherish idols, and three, become spiritually dead. Conforming to the world is what causes us to become spiritually dead. The humble, self-sacrificing followers of Jesus will pass on to perfection, leaving behind the indifferent and lovers of the world. Lovers of the world. Do you love the world more than Jesus? That's the question. If you and I, I'm preaching to me all day long. If you and I cannot let go of something that Jesus says let go of, we got a problem. We have a real serious problem. In the Review and Herald, March 9, 1905, Sister White says, let us strive, that's all of us here, let us strive with all the power that God has given us to be among the 144,000. That means letting go of things. We got to let go. And the biggest item or article that we have to give up and start with is our plate every day. This is real serious business. I'm going to ask you all to take the official position. Let's ask God to bless this meeting this morning. Amen. <clears throat> if you're able, if you're able. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful and grateful that you have blessed us to, again to be here today. We need to hear from heaven today. Lord, I don't want your, your congregation to hear from me. I want them to hear from you. Please, we need to hear from, from the eternal sanctuary today. Bless us with the word, Lord, that will affect our hearts today. We want to be more edified when we leave here than we were when we walked in. We love, ask, and thank you for these things, and we ask them as always in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to please take your swords and turn them to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24, a book we are all familiar with. Matthew 24, the title of our study today is The Time of Jacob's Trouble. The Time of Jacob's Trouble. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to begin in verse 14. When you all get there, please respond by saying amen. 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 Matthew 24 and verse 14. I still hear leaves. Amen. Praise God. We're all there. 
All right, Lord, please bless your words as we read them. Teach us, Lord, straight from the, the words of prophecy is our prayer. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel, Jesus said in red letters, of the kingdom shall be preached in how much of the world? All the world for a witness unto how many nations? All nations, and then shall the end come. Well, that, that's the whole world, isn't it? Jesus is talking about the loud cry of the third angel. He doesn't say it verbatim, but that's what he's talking about. This is prophecy. 15, and when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him do what? Understand. Now, she comments, Great Controversy 26, when the idolatrous standards of the Romans should be set up in the holy ground, which extended some furlongs outside the city walls, then the followers of Christ were to find safety in what? Flight. She's talking about the Judean Christians. Now, those standards were basically poles or indicia that they took and set up outside of the holy walls of Jerusalem. A furlong is about one-eighth of a mile. So a furlong is not a short distance. They weren't like one foot away from the wall. We're talking about it was extended around about. So this is the same as somebody coming from the Tullahoma Church of Christ. Let's just say that. And coming and setting up a new display sign out there in the parking lot. Well, this is our church now. We're setting our stakes here. That's what they did. Listen. When the warning sign should be seen, those who would escape must make how much delay? No delay throughout the land of Judea, as well as in Jerusalem itself. The signal for flight must be immediately obeyed. Immediately. And we're going to read that. If it's in the Bible, it's in the spirit of prophecy. If it's in the spirit of prophecy, it's in where? The Bible. All the spirit of prophecy does is bring us, Sister White brings us back to the Bible because we're neglecting to read it. She says that. He who chanced to be upon the housetop must not go down into his house even to save his most valued treasures. What a picture is being painted here. So as soon as we see the sign, the sign, we have to act. No delay, no hesitation. When the warning sign should be seen, judgment was to follow so quickly that those who would escape must make no delay. He who chanced to be upon the housetop must not go down through his house into the street. Watch this. But he must speed his way from roof to roof. Is that serious? From roof to roof until he reached the city wall and be saved so as by fire. Those who were working in the fields or vineyards must not take time to return for the outer garment laid aside while they should be toiling in the heat of the day. No hesitation. An emergency. I think a better word would be a crisis. A very serious crisis. So we'll talk about typology for a second. We all know that the word or the letters O-L-O-G-Y mean the study of something the study of the first part of the word, right? So we're talking about the study of types. So a type is a representation, a shadow, a figure, a model, a sign of something to come later in the future. 
the manifestation or fulfillment of that type we call the antitype. Is everybody with me so far? So everything, every time an antitype is fulfilled, it's always larger than the type, always. Greater in magnitude, greater in scope, greater in size, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Typology. So the Bible is filled with types. We're reading a type actually right now without even realizing it. Let's go back to the Bible. 16, Matthew 24, 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into where? The mountains. Hmm. We're talking about typology. Typology. This represents something else that's going to take place when? In the future. In the future. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. 18. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. 19. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. That would be very difficult, wouldn't it? Jesus is giving us wonderful counsel. It's love. He's giving us love. What better love is there to tell somebody what's going to happen before it takes place? So you can do what? Prepare. We can all prepare. 20. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. That's very difficult to travel when it's cold, isn't it? Especially if you have nothing. Remember, no cars, no infrastructure, nothing. Just you, and hopefully, by God's grace, our family is with us. In Desire of Ages, and I'm sure those of you who study Sabbath school in the Annex have read this, page 121, paragraph 3, she says, In the last great conflict in the controversy with Satan, those who remain loyal to God will see every earthly support cut off. You're going to have no help. Just you and God, literally. We'll get to that in a few minutes. 21, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as what was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Let's turn to Daniel. Let's go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 11. Daniel 11, and we're going to start at verse 45, the last verse in Daniel 11. Daniel chapter 11, verse 45. And again, let me know when you're there by saying amen, please. Amen. amen. Daniel eleven forty-five. Now, Daniel 11, verses 40 through 45, talk about two entities, the king of the north and the king of the what? South. So verse 44, now 45 now, is referring specifically to the king of the north. Listen. And he, the king of the north, shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. So whoever this entity is, in verse 45 of Daniel chapter 11, he's going to come to his end, meaning there's going to have to be some type of conflict or war to bring this entity, whoever they are, to their end, number one. And number two, no one's going to help him. So apparently there's going to be worldwide hatred cast upon this entity, whoever they are. That's another study for another day. But something else takes place when the king of the north comes to his end. Look at verse 1 of Daniel 12. This takes place. The first four words of Daniel 12, 1 are, and at that time. At what time? The time when the king of the north, brought to view in the previous verse, comes to his end. 
The Bible says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written where? In the book. So there's a principle that's brought forth in the Bible. I call it good news, bad news. Now somebody, I'm sure all of us have experienced, somebody comes to you and says, well, Brother Bridges, I have some good news and some bad news. I say, well, I want the bad news first. Anybody else say that? I want the bad news first, and there's nothing but good news to come up, right? It's, it's something to look forward to. Give me the bad. Well, Jesus does this in Daniel 12.1. There will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. Can somebody say amen? amen. Now, when is this going to take place? Let's get a little more specific. Turn to verse 9, or scroll down to verse 9, Daniel 12, 9. And he said, this is the angel talking now. He said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till when? The time of the end. So based on our studies as Adventists, we know that the time of the end started in 1798, correct? Again, that's another study for another day too. But that is when the time of the end began. 1798, when the Pope was arrested, and the following year, 1799, he died. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah. Now, that's one of the three time of troubles, a time of trouble such as never was. Let's go to Jeremiah now. Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. And we are doing good on time so far. Amen. Jeremiah 30. Again, when you all get there, please respond by saying amen. <clears throat> Jeremiah 30, and I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 2 to begin. Jeremiah 30, verse 1. Lord, please continue to bless your words. Teach us, Lord, please. We are students in the school of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 30, verse 1. The word of that, I'm sorry, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee, where? In a book. Did Jeremiah obey? Yes. Did he do that? Yes, he did. We're reading it right now. Amen. Skip down to verse 4 now. Verse 4. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, verse 5, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace, contrary to peace. 6. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child? In other words, he's asking a rhetorical question. Can a man get pregnant? Is that what he, do we all see that? Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail or giving birth, about to give birth, and all faces are turned into paleness. So just, just look at the picture that Brother Jeremiah is painting here in verse 6 of Jeremiah 30. These brothers, he specifically said the men, have their hands on their loins, what's defined as the lower region between the pelvic bone, the stomach. They're, they're in complete agony and distress. That's what he's painting for us. It's going to be a terrible time. 
That's the bad news. And there's more bad news in verse 7. But then remember, bad news first, good news second. Amen? 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But, but, here's the good news, he shall be saved out of it. We're talking about typology now. So this statement here is referring or reflecting to something else that took place in the Bible anciently. But it's also telling us about something that's going to take place in the future. How do I know that? Just run down to verse, verse 24, and we'll get our answer. Verse 24. Same chapter, same book, Jeremiah 30, verse 24. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it, and until he have performed the intents of his heart. In the what days? Latter days ye shall consider it. So remember, I'm going to show you this statement in a second. God had his prophets write more for us than for the time they were living in. Skip back to Jeremiah 23, real quick. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Just a little reinforcement here. We're studying precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little what? There a little. Isaiah 28, 9 and 10. Jeremiah 23, verse 1. The Bible says again, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Is that, is that a serious verse? That's very scary. But when is it going to take place? Skip down to verse 20. Jeremiah 23 and verse 20. Again, the Bible says, The anger of the Lord shall not return until, until he have executed, until he have performed the thoughts of his heart. And when? The latter days ye shall consider it how? Perfectly. Perfectly. So these prophets prophesied about 2023 and beyond in a lot of cases. Let's read it. Never are we absent from the mind of God. Can somebody say amen to that? God is our joy and our salvation. Each of the ancient prophets spoke less for their own time than for ours, so that their prophesying is enforced for us. Quote, now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. They rule for us. That's why they're called prophets. By definition, they're called prophets. God is faithful. So let's go back to Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Genesis now, the first book in the Bible, easy to find. And we're still studying and talking about typology, typology. Now, what we just read in Jeremiah 30 is very interesting because it's a revelation of a type we're about to read now. But also, it's also standing as a type talking about something that's going to happen in the future to all of us. You want to know what that's going to be? Well, we have to keep studying. Amen? Genesis 32. We all there? And we all know the story. Very familiar. But it's much deeper than it appears on the surface. Much deeper. Genesis 32. We all there? Amen? 
Amen. Lord, again, we ask for a blessing on your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Jacob, and who? And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which means actually two hosts, because there were two angels. Three, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. That was his goal, wasn't it? Six, and the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee and four hundred men with him. Would that intimidate you? It would intimidate me. Four, I mean, a dozen men against me would be intimidating. Four hundred men. Seven. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Would you be? And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Now watch what Jacob does. He was a true Israelite. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which says unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. The first thing Brother Jacob does is get on his knees and start to do what? Pray. Pray. When trouble comes, pray. Pray. He got down on his belly, stretched out prostrate, just like the angels do before the Lord, and he prayed. He prayed from verse 9 down to verse 12. Now let's go down to verse 13. Verse 13. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. His goal was to appease his brother, right? Maybe he won't be so hard on me. Maybe these gifts will, will kind of calm him down a little bit. 13, 14, sorry. 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. And the list goes down, all the way down. And we're going to skip down to verse 21 in the interest of time. Verse 21. So went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. 22. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons. Remember, Benjamin hadn't been born yet at this point. Amen. And passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. This is our key verse here. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. He wrestled. I read an article very recently, some WWE wrestler. I don't, I don't follow that stuff, so I, don't know, I can't recall his name. But he was comparing wrestling to boxing. And he said, anybody that thinks that wrestling is easier than boxing is out of their mind. Wrestling, I don't know if anybody here has ever wrestled. Brother Dustin, I don't know if you ever wrestled back in the day. But wrestling is hard. So he wrestled. 
25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he realized that he was losing the battle. He touched the hollow of his thigh, meaning the angel touched Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. As he wrestled with them, would that be a difficult thing to do? I've broken bones. I broke my leg in high school. It's almost impossible to get around, even with crutches, right? But you're talking about wrestling somebody with a freshly established broken joint? That's serious business. 26, and he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou do what? Is that faith? Sister White brings out the fact that when he stated this to the angel, he wasn't being disrespectful. He was being honorable, but he was showing this angel, who was actually the Lord, that he loved him and he wanted to be saved. So I'm importuning, but I'm doing it in a very respectful and reverent way. But I want you to understand, I want to win the final battle, not this battle necessarily. The final battle is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? I want to be saved. 27, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. 28, and he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but what? Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and has what? Prevailed. Israel. His name was changed. 29, and Jacob asked him, asked the angel now, and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, the angel said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed them there. And Jacob 30, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Peniel actually means in the original Hebrew, the face of God. Can you imagine seeing the face of God face to face? This is serious, brothers and sisters. But this again, this represents something. We're talking about typology. Something that represents something that's going to take place in the future, later. Esau lusted for a favorite dish hmm, and sacrificed his birthright to gratify what? Appetite. We're talking about the reason why all this took place in the beginning, right? It was all over a bowl of stew, basically. We all know the story, right? After his lustful appetite had been gratified, He saw his folly, but found no space for repentance, though he sought it carefully and with tears. There are very many who are like Esau. Hmm. He represents a class who have a special, valuable blessing within their reach, the immortal inheritance. Is there anything more special and valuable than that? That life that is as enduring as the life of God, the creator of the universe, happiness immeasurable, and an eternal weight of glory. But, but, who have so long indulged their appetites, passions, and inclinations that their power to discern and appreciate the value of eternal things is weakened. Is that a serious statement? You know, the Bible actually tells us that in Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 14 brings the view Emmanuel. And then verse 15 in Isaiah 7 talks about Emmanuel and how his diet affects his brain. The Bible says, butter and honey shall he eat, that he shall be able 
to choose the good and refuse the evil based on his appetite, his diet. This is biblical. It's very important. So what we eat has a direct effect on the brain, right? A close sympathy exists between the two. Esau had a special, strong desire for a particular article of food. We've all had that. Amen? And he had so long gratified self that he did not feel the necessity of turning from the tempting, coveted dish. He thought upon it, making no special effort to restrain his appetite. Is thinking about giving up something that we shouldn't be eating good enough? No, no. Until the power of appetite bore down on him on every other consideration and controlled him, she says, and he imagined that he would suffer great inconvenience and even death if he could not have that particular dish. That's serious. That's how I used to feel. I'll share with you guys the last time I was up here about Hostess chocolate cupcakes and milk and icing. That was me. I'm going to die if I don't eat this. That's how I felt. I had to have it. The more he thought upon it, the more his desire strengthened until his birthright, which was sacred, lost its value and its sacredness. Appetite is a very serious matter. Very serious matter. Jacob's night of anguish, when he wrestled in prayer for deliverance from the hand of Esau, represents or is a type, a type, represents the experience of God's people in the time of trouble. Remember, there are how many times of troubles altogether? How many? Three. We talked about one already. The time of trouble such as never was. Because of the deception practiced to secure his father's blessing, intended for Esau, Jacob had fled for his life. Alarmed by his brother's deadly threats, I highlighted his brother for a reason. We're talking about typology this morning. Typology. Keep that in mind. His only hope was in the mercy of God. His only defense must be what? Prayer. Prayer. And that's what he did. That's what he did. That should always be our first choice. Prayer. Jacob's company unarmed and defenseless, seemed about to fall helpless victims of violence and slaughter. And to the burden of anxiety and fear was added the crushing weight of self-reproach. For it was his own sin that had brought this danger. Yet he leaves nothing undone on his own part to atone for the wrong to his brother and to avert the threatened danger. Watch this. So should the followers of Christ, us, as they approach the time of trouble, make every exertion to place themselves in a proper light before the people to do what? Disarm prejudice regarding the third angel's message and to avert the danger which threatens liberty of conscience. So we have to be careful during that time, don't we, when the Sunday laws pass. We have to be careful. No, Sunday is the, not the Sabbath. Saturday is the seventh day. Is that how we approach people? We have to pray for wisdom to be able to do that. Disarm prejudice. Sister White says in Great Controversy 608, she says, As the storm approaches, a large class who profess faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified by obedience to the truth abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. By uniting with the world, she says, and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in the same light. And when the test is brought, National Sunday Law, 
they are prepared for the crisis? No. She says they're prepared to choose the easy, popular side. By uniting with what? The world. The world is our enemy. That's how we have to treat it. We love the world in terms of wanting them to be saved and evangelize to them. But the Bible tells us clearly, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 1 John 2.15. So the rest of that paragraph that I just recited, I'm going to read it to you. It's, it's critical. Men, now we're talking about, let me go back here now. He was alarmed by his brother's deadly threats. It was all about running from his brother. We're talking about typology. Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former what? Brethren. We're talking about typology. So just like Jacob was in fear for his life because of his biological brother, we brothers and sisters are going to have a major problem at the end based on our spiritual brothers. Do you see that? When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them, and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. False reports? Insinuations? That's serious language. That's very, very serious language. But the Bible says, and the spirit of prophecy say, that's what's going to happen. Maybe somebody we're sitting side by side with in the pews. Maybe somebody we used to fellowship with every week in California. We don't know. Only God knows. The question is, do we believe the Bible? Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Question, church. When does the early time of trouble begin? Now, we're talking about three times of troubles. This is one. This is one of This is the first one. Now, many people use the term the little time of trouble. That term is not used or found anywhere in Sister White's writings. We call it the early time of trouble. She uses it interchangeably, the early time of trouble and the time of trouble such as never was. So whatever you're reading regarding these times of trouble, you have to make sure you read it thoroughly to get the proper context of which is which. Are you with me? When does the early time of trouble begin? Answer. The time is not far distant when... Like the early disciples, that's a big word, like, in comparison to or similar to, she's saying, like the early disciples, we shall be forced, we're talking about a law causing this, forced to seek a refuge in desolate and solitary places. As the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was the signal for flight to the Judean Christians, So the assumption of power on the part of our nation, the USA, in the decree enforcing the papal Sabbath will be a warning to us. So she's saying they're going to be very similar in nature. Do we all see that? Let's take our time as we as we walk through this. It will then be time to leave the large cities. Preparatory to leaving the smaller ones for retired homes in secluded places among the mountains, but not initially. Remember, preparatory. We leave the large ones, but at some point, we have to go all the way, right? Just like the Lord had Terah leave Ur of the Chaldees with this young family with Abraham. They moved to Haran. Terah died there, 
But the Lord said, Abraham, that, that's not good enough. I need to take you all the way to the country, to the wilderness, literally. I need you to take you to Canaan, where we can commune more clearly without distraction, because every city, even suburbs, are still cities. There's distraction there. Question. <clears throat> when does the time of trouble, such as never was, begin? Remember, we're talking about three, so now we have two. Early time of trouble, number one, and now the time of trouble, such as never was, number two. We read that in Daniel 12, 1. Amen? Answer. Also in Matthew 24, we read it. Jesus talked about it. I saw angels hurrying to and fro in heaven. An angel with a writer's inkhorn by his side returned from the earth and reported to Jesus that his work was done. And the saints were numbered and sealed. We're talking about the close of what? Probation. Then I saw Jesus who had been ministering before the ark containing the Ten Commandments. Where is he at doing that? Where is he located? The most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Throw down the censer. He raised his hands and with a loud voice said, It is done. And all the angelic hosts laid off their crowns as Jesus made the solemn declaration. This is very solemn, saints. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Can we, can we cry out to God and ask him to change his mind at this point? It's too late. Probation has closed. You're either sealed or marked. Question. When exactly does the time of Jacob's trouble begin? That's a fair question, right? Now, this is time of trouble number three. Answer. I saw that the four angels, brought to you in Revelation chapter 7, we all know that, would hold the four winds until Jesus' work was done in the sanctuary, pleading on behalf of you and I, interceding for us, and then will come the seven last plagues. So are you seeing the picture now? The four winds of Revelation 7 are being held by four angels on the four corners of the earth. When Jesus is done in the, in the most holy place, judging the world, when he's finished with that work and everyone has been either sealed or marked, then the angels are bid to let go. This tells me those four winds represent strife, yes, tumult, war, etc., but they also represent the seven last plagues because we just read that, didn't we? And then will come the seven last plagues. These plagues, what did they do? They enraged the wicked against the righteous. They thought that we had brought the judgments of God upon them and that if they could rid the earth of us, the plagues would then be stayed. A decree, a law, went forth to slay the saints, which caused them to cry day and night for deliverance. This, this was the time of Jacob's trouble. You remember now, I mentioned earlier, talking about typology, the antitype, the revelation of the type, is always bigger in nature, in scope, etc. Right? Didn't I say that? So remember now, Jacob wrestled all night. We, if we're faithful, we're going to wrestle how long? Day and night. We're going to cry day and night. The antitype is always longer or larger than the type. Mark that. Mark that. Question. When exactly does the time of Jacob's trouble begin? Continuing, the people of God will then be plunged into those scenes of affliction and distress described by the prophet as the time of Jacob's trouble. 
Thus saith the Lord. We read this earlier. This is the scripture reading for the day. We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. How many faces? All faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but the good news is he shall be saved out of it. But we have to pass through something, brothers and sisters, and we're going to see why in a second. Question, but didn't I read somewhere that the time of Jacob's trouble, I mean, the time of trouble such as never was, and the time of Jacob's trouble are the same? That sounds familiar. Well, let's see. Answer. About four months since, I had a vision of events all in the future, Sister White says. I saw the time of trouble such as never was. Jesus told me it was the time of Jacob's trouble and that we should be delivered out of it by the voice of God. Are you seeing the picture? So what we read earlier tells us, and I'm going to show a prophecy chart in just a few minutes. Jesus throws down the censer. Probation closes. The time of trouble such as never was begins at that point. The first plague falls. Remember, the four winds are being held in Revelation 7, verses 1 through 4. They're told, do not let go until the servants of God are sealed where? In their foreheads. So they let go of the wind. They release the winds. The plagues begin to fall. The people realize, wow, these these grievous sores are unbearable. I bet that little company, that little group resisting this law is causing it. It's their fault. We need to eliminate them. That's what they're going to say. Just like Caiaphas said in John 11, verse 50, better that, the, that, that one man die than the whole patient, uh, nation, excuse me, perish not. It's going to be the same thinking. She actually brings that out in Jeremiah, and I'm sorry, in, uh, in uh, Great Controversy. Continuing. I didn't finish this. This is beautiful here. Let me finish this. So the voice of God is going to deliver us. Then I saw the four angels cease to hold the four winds. And I saw famine, pestilence, and sword. Nation rose against nation, and the whole world was in confusion. Then we cried to God day and night for deliverance until we began to hear the bells on Jesus' garment, our great high priest. And I saw Jesus rise up in the holiest, and as he came out... We heard the tinkling of the bells and knew that our high priest was coming out. That's the identifying mark. Remember, in the the typical service on earth, when that high priest was in that most holy place, all of Israel, all the camp was surrounded, the earthly sanctuary. And they were were just, they were quiet. They were listening. They knew if those bells stopped tinkling, something went wrong. That high priest had a sin that he didn't confess, and he was struck dead on the spot. Then we heard the voice of God which shook the heavens and the earth and gave the 144,000 the day and hour of Jesus' coming. Then the saints were free, united, and full of the glory of God. Do you want that? I want that. Do you want that? For he has turned their captivity, and I saw a flaming cloud come where Jesus stood. This, this is astounding here. A flaming cloud came to Jesus. Then Jesus laid off his priestly garment and put on his kingly robe and took his place on the cloud, which carried him to the east. 
where it first appeared to the saints on earth, a small black cloud, which was the sign of the Son of Man. Remember about half the size of a man's hand? Remember that? Early writings. While the cloud was passing from the holiest to the east, which took a number of days. Isn't that interesting? The synagogue of Satan worshipped at the saints' feet. They were overwhelmed with consternation, but it was too late. They realized it's too late. What causes the time of Jacob's trouble? Is that a fair question? As the Sabbath has become the special point of controversy throughout Christendom, and religious and secular authorities have combined to enforce the observance of the Sunday, the persistent refusal of a small minority to yield to the popular demand will make them objects of universal execration, hatred. It will be urged that the few who stand in opposition to an institution of the church and a law of the state, church and state combined, ought not to be tolerated. That's why. This is a great question here. Why do we need the time of Jacob's trouble? We don't realize it, brothers and sisters, but God has to fit us. We need this. Answer, God's love for his children during the period of their severest trial is as strong and tender as in the days of their sunniest prosperity. But it is needful for them to be placed in the furnace of fire. Why, Lord? Their earthliness... Their earthliness must be consumed, that the image of Christ may be perfectly reflected. Now, earthliness is not sin. It is not sin. Let me give you an example that I experienced about six years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday. My mother called me. It was a Friday night, and it was in June. She called me. My, I think my wife, my wife was out of town. I think she was back in California. It was Friday night. It was Sabbath. She called me from San Francisco, California, to report to me that the Golden State Warriors lost the finals to the Cleveland Cavaliers. She called to tell me that. Now my wife, my, my mother, has always been kind of a peripheral sports fan, not a fanatic like me and my dad were. We were fanatics. So I'm laying there, and we chat for a minute, and we hang up, say our goodbyes, and I noticed something about myself. I noticed that I felt an emotion from her telling me that news. It was, a, it was a, just a twinge of sadness that the Warriors lost. Remember now, I'm, I'm so hooked on sports. It was a part of my being growing up all through my... But I, she told me that, and I felt sad for the fans of the Bay Area. And I was thinking to myself that, oh, the Lord, this, something's not right here. I haven't watched sports in years, and I'm still feeling bad about the Warriors losing, losing the finals. I got to reassess things, and I got on my knees. Lord, I need, I need to step up. Something's not right. So I had earthliness. It's not a sin to still have feelings and emotions for the Golden State Warriors or San Francisco 49ers or anybody else. But God says you can't have that. It all has to be burned up and consumed. That's why you need to pass through this affliction. I need all of your heart. Not part, I need the whole banana. Are you with me? This is real. Question, what will we eat during the time of Jacob's trouble? Is that a fair question? We have to live, right? We have to have sustenance and nutrition. I don't know there's some, some nurses and doctors in here. Answer, I saw that a time of trouble was before us. 
when stern necessity, what kind of necessity, church? Stern necessity will compel the people of God to live on bread and water. Are you ready for that? In the time of trouble, none will labor with their hands. Their sufferings will be mental, and God will provide food for them. That's the good news. But brothers and sisters, there's more. There's more. What will we eat again? The time of trouble is just before us. And then again, she says, stern necessity will require the people of God to deny self and get this, and to eat merely enough to sustain life. Are you ready for that? But God will prepare us for that time. Somebody say amen. He will, remember Isaiah 41, God wants to help us. He wants to save us. He's going to help us to get to the point where we can live on just bread and water. Isaiah 33, 16. Many people misquote that. Well, God's going to take my bread and water. The, the Bible, the verse says, his bread shall be given him and his water shall be what? Sure. The question is, when is that going to take place? In the process of the prophecy, when is that going to happen? Well, we're going to see that in a second. In that fearful hour, our necessity will be God's opportunity to impart his strength and power and to sustain his people. Beautiful promise. So this is our chart. So here we are here now, 2023. Increase in disaster and disease. Is that happening? Yes, it is. The question of the enforcement of Sunday observance will be widely agitated. We're not there yet, but we see the agitation is growing. I talked about Project 2025 a few weeks back. That's a very serious thing that's taking place on January 20th, 2025. Very serious. National Assembly Law passes. That's the early time of trouble. I should say little time of trouble. I mean, I should say early time of trouble. Oh, I see what I did. Okay. There we go. Early time of trouble. So Isaiah 33, 16 now. When our bread shall be given us and our water shall be sure is over here. We have to grow our own food here. We should be living in the country. Sister White is clear about this. The Bible is clear about this. We have to be living in the country here and growing our own food. But once probation closes, once we are running to the hills, we have to depend on God totally. He will provide our bread and he will provide our water. He will take care of us. Special resurrection, and by the way, the time of Jacob's trouble takes place right after the first plague, between the first and second. Why? When those grievous sores start to appear on people, and they're in agony and suffering. Let's kill them. They're causing it. It's that simple. Special resurrection over here. That's another study for another day. That takes place between the sixth and seventh plague. Actually, the very beginning of the seventh plague, when the earthquake, great earthquake happens, that is what starts or causes the special resurrection to happen. Again, what will we eat during the time of Jacob's trouble? Self-denial was considered by some to be real suffering, and we're winding down now. Depraved appetites are indulged, and a restraint upon the unhealthy appetites would lead even many professed Christians now to now start back, as though actual starvation would be the consequence of a plain diet. And like the children of Israel, what a comparison. They would prefer slavery, diseased bodies, and even death 
rather than to be deprived of the flesh pots. Bread and water is all that is promised to the remnant in the time of trouble. So, brothers and sisters, we need to start preparing for that now. We need to start making changes now. I'm going to ask you a very serious, I'm going to put this down, and I'm going to ask you all a very, very serious question. If we cannot hold our plate in our hand for dinner each, each day, and we're not willing to remove one food article from our plate, my question is, how are we going to give up the whole plate? It's impossible. It will be impossible to do that. So we have to start making changes and eliminating things starting today. To, this is real, today. It's not a condemnation. I told you I struggled with hostess cupcakes and all kinds of stuff back in the day. We're all human. We all have severe weaknesses here. This is a very serious organ right here, the stomach. But remember, it all starts where? In the mind. In the mind. Well, somebody says, well, Jesus ate meat. He's my example. He ate fish. But we have to remember, everything Jesus did was in the context of Daniel 8.14. So when Jesus was on earth, he was in the heavenly outer court. Remember that now. So only one place in the sanctuary allowed the entrance of flesh meat, and that was the outer court. Not allowed in the holy place, not allowed in the most holy place. So we have to always, always consider Daniel 8.14, always. Everything is the sanctuary, everything in our message. That is our message. Amen? Yeah, I hear you, Brother Ted. I hear you. So these places, I used to be addicted to a lot of them. I don't see Wendy's on here. But, oh, there it is, yeah. Oh, the square patty, the fries, the chocolate malt after a meal. Oh, but brother, sister, the Lord helped me to overcome. In-N-Out is more popular. In-N-Out Burgers is a California chain. I don't think they have that out here. Very popular. Best fries you ever want to eat. But we had to give them up. God says, I love you, but you have to, and you love me, but you have to love me more than your appetite. My wife's going to, my wife's going to be sharing some things with you over the, the coming weeks and months that are going to be a great blessing. Straight from the word of God. Straight from the word. It is as truly a sin to violate the laws of our being or the laws of health as it is to break the Ten Commandments. Is that serious? To do either is to break God's laws. Those who transgress the law of God in their physical organism will be inclined to violate the law of God spoken from Sinai. So God says, I, I, I have ten laws, the, the Decalogue, but I also have eight more laws over here. But he doesn't see it that way. Do you see that, what we just read? God sees, he literally sees 18 laws. He sees 18 laws. He doesn't separate them. But they're laws of love. Can you say amen? They are laws of love. I saw the saints leaving the cities and villages. We're going to close with this. And associating together in companies and living in the most solitary places. This is a great promise for all of us. Angels provided them food and water. You ready to be fed by an angel? We've got to be faithful. We've got to be faithful to, 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 to claim that. Faithful in everything. Angels provided them food and water while the wicked were suffering from hunger and thirst. Mm. Then I saw the leading men of the earth consulting together and Satan and his angels busy around them. I saw a writing 
copies of which were scattered in different parts of the land, giving orders that unless the saints should yield their peculiar faith, give up the Sabbath, and observe the first day of the week, Sunday, the Sunday, the people were at liberty after a certain time to put them to death. But, watch this, in this hour of trial, the saints were what? Calm and composed. Is that faith? Calm and composed, trusting in God and leaning upon his promise that a way of escape would be made for them. They are going to believe, Lord, you brought me this far. I will not let thee go unless thou do what? Bless me. Bless me. Help us, Lord, to be prepared for that day. We know it's just ahead. All the signs are here. Father, help us to be ready so we can be weighed in the balances, and found worthy to be in thy kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for your word. It is beyond words. They're words of life, words of truth, words of encouragement, words of blessing. We pray, Lord, that your words touch the heart today, mine included. We need to be better prepared. It's clear what's coming on this earth, and it's coming very soon. Help us to be ready. Help our, fa- our, our families to be ready. We're told through inspiration that we have to, the angel told Sister White, that we have to get ready, get ready, get ready. How? Ye will have to die of a greater death to the world than ye have ever yet died. That's what we're told. To help us, Lord, to remove ourselves, to separate ourselves from the world on any level, glancing at box scores on, on, the, on the computer, listening to a little snippet of an old song from the 60s. Whatever it may be, we have to overcome. We will not be sealed if we're still hanging on to this world. I pray that you would bless everyone here within the sound of my voice. Please, Lord. My prayer is simple. Save us all, please. Us and our families, our children, and those of us who have grandchildren. We thank, love, and ask you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.